0: Take your Bibles, turn to Galatians 1, 6 through 10. We'd we'll remind you we believe in the doctrine of inerrancy and the doctrine of inspiration, which means this is perfect. Scripture says it is. And it means that the Spirit of God is the primary author, which means that though Paul wrote this approximately 50 to 51 AD, the Spirit wrote it for you, for you today. This is God's Word. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we... Or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you. Let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I now trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, give light, we ask, that we might see Jesus. In whose name we pray, Amen. Can we all just get along? It's a great question, isn't it? It's interesting how that's kind of been absorbed into American culture, right? We ask that question, and it almost always gets that kind of same kind of chuckle, right? We think of it as a syrupy, kind of sappy type of question, right? Do you remember actually when that question was introduced into the American culture? Rodney King is the correct answer. Absolutely nothing sappy about that question. Right? Rodney King asked that question to two police officers as they beat him to a bloody pulp, something that he would later win $3.8 million for. Can't we all just get along? Well, you did just lead him on a high-speed chase, but that's a different story altogether. But it's interesting, we, we've kind of forgotten the difficulty of that question and absorbed that into the American psyche where that is now so much of the identity of who we as Americans are. Can't we all just get along? I mean, why do people got to be up so uptight? Why do people have to be angry? Why can't we all just be friendly? Let's just love each other and we'll be, all be good, right? We like that concept. Why can't we all just get along? And for a culture that emphasizes getting alongness, tolerance, passages like this are very, very difficult. Very difficult, actually. I mean, we, we have absolutely, as our defining value in America right now, is tolerance. Uh, random note on that, uh, what is it, the great Aristotle quote? Tolerance and apathy are the last virtues of a dying society, right? Think about that for a second. Tolerance and apathy are the last virtues of a dying society. We are the land of tolerance, right? Uh, Passages like this are going to be a hard reach to understand and to apply for cultures that celebrate love and devour tolerance, Right? We love that idea of, it doesn't really matter what you believe or what I believe, as long as we're not hurting each other, you believe it hard, as long as you believe it well, you believe enough, you'll be fine. It doesn't really matter, right? I mean, why do we have to pay attention to differences anyways? As long as you believe enough, you'll be fine. Now, we get to this passage, and that's actually not the case at all. Passages like this are going to be a tremendous challenge to that type of thinking, for a number of reasons, tone being one, but content being another. You remember Paul is writing to the Galatian church. He's been there. He's helped kind of establish the church and plant it, and he's been gone a couple of months up to a year, not that long. right? This is happening somewhere around 50 to 51 AD. It's shortly after the Jerusalem Council. It's probably the first book in the New Testament Written, And they're struggling with uh, the content of what Paul has taught and now the content of what their new teachers are teaching and they're wrestling as all of these competing ideas begin to take hold. In fact, they're wrestling with it so much that they begin to question Paul's authority, they begin to stop listening to him, and they begin to question even the nature of the gospel. And he comes here with a scathing rebuke, right? This is the one where it burns your eyebrows off when you read it. It, it, This is sharp. In fact, actually, it's so sharp that he's stopped, he's actually broken the greatest of southern virtues. He has stopped being nice. (laughs) Right in this day when you wrote letters, you started with, "I so and so, such and such and such and such to you so and so, such and such and such and such." I give thanks. Da 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 da. That was the standard letter writing practice of the day. You always said who started. Who was addressed to, and then you started with something thankful, right? Classic southern squishiness. Yeah, you, you always give something nice and warm and fuzzy, even if you're about to fire him. You know, oh, well, that bow tie looks nice when you say you're fired, right? That, that's how we operate. We like that kind of warm squishiness. It, it, Paul doesn't do that here. It's the only case he doesn't do it. He says who's writing, he says who he's writing to, and then ignores the thanksgiving. He stopped being nice. And begins this singeing rebuke. We're going to look at a number of themes, four really. The first one here, though, the first topic he even introduces is what we believe is just as important as if we believe. I must say that again: what we believe, the content of our faith, is just as important as. If we have faith. Right? So, kind of functionally, what he's going to do here is he's going to put in the same category, quote, quote, Christians who are confused are going to, in essence, fall in the same category as unbelievers. This is not friendly, right? This, this is actually kind of uh, difficult to think about, right? Look at how he starts here in verse one. I mean, verse six, I'm sorry. I am astonished, shocked, right? He's only been gone a couple of months, year tops. That you are so quickly deserting him who called you. Him who called, uh, Jesus who called you. Not Paul, right? This is not Paul rang him up on the telephone. Hey, how's it going? Good to talk to you. No, this is Jesus who has called them from death into life, called them from a pagan life into uh, gospel living. How you are deserting Christ, who called you in the grace of Christ, and turning to a different gospel. Well, hang on now. I mean, accusing someone of having a different gospel is kind of a big deal in the New Testament. I mean, considering that the summary of all that is important in the New Testament, like the big picture, the biggie, the thing you cannot disagree on is the gospel. And here he's accusing them of having a totally different one. And you would say, my goodness, well, that—I mean, that's almost kind of downright rude, isn't it? Uh, he's actually going to take it further and explain that the, the contrast, and this is going to come later in the book, with what they're putting forth and what he is putting forth is so shockingly different. They're different religions all together. Well, okay, that makes sense. Well let's see, what are they what are they wrestling with? What are they doing with the gospel that's so bad? Right? I mean we think of all kinds of things that we could think of. Like you know, there's a church not next town over that's binatarian. Right? They don't believe in a trinity, they only believe in two persons of the Godhead. Heretical bad. Right? well oh, maybe that's it. Maybe that's what they're doing. that nah, must be it. There are problems with the Trinity. Not it. That's not what they're gonna struggle with. Well, I got it, I know. You know what? Maybe the Galatian church is wrestling through the divinity of Jesus. Maybe that's it. Nope, that's not it either. Maybe they're wrestling with the the truth of the Scripture. Maybe the inerrancy battle, like what we had in the 70s and 60s and 50s and 40s and 30s and 20s and all the way back. Well, no, they don't have the Scriptures yet. They're, They're going off the Old Testament. The Scriptures are being written. This is the first one. So what are they wrestling with in the Gospel? It's actually disturbingly simple to say that salvation equals grace plus anything. In their case, they're substituting works. But to say grace plus something equals salvation. That's the mathematic equation of what the Galatian church has created, right? Using algebra terms, all of you little ones, right? Grace plus X equals salvation. And Paul's comfortable with that economy as long as X equals zero. (laughs) As long as X equals anything but zero, he treats it interestingly as a totally different religion. I mean, shockingly different religion. I mean, it really is amazing to think about this because what the Galatian church is saying is like, look, in order to be saved, I mean, you need to know Jesus, you need to believe Jesus, and you just got to do this thing. you just got to do this one thing. It's not that big of a deal. And if we're going to be honest, how easily could we be persuaded to that same thing? Look, all you have to do to be a believer is you have to trust in Christ, receive his grace, and you just got to go to church like once a month. Do you, do you realize, we think like this all of the time in our minds though, don't we? To think of it's grace plus, and then we have very sophisticated and clever ways of adding other things in, right? Grace plus intellectualism. Grace plus a proper education. Now, I may mean, never say these things explicitly, but it works in the, the subterranean parts of our mind to add stuff to God's redeeming work. And the problem is that it creates a totally different religion. One of the commentators, PCA guy, on this passage wrote, the content of one's faith must be fundamentally correct. Or one is lost. deny an essential of the Christian faith, and there is no hope of salvation. Sound tough It is. This is exactly what Paul teaches here that 's exactly what 's coming to he he 's holding there 's one gospel, and only one. And the gospel is that Jesus died for sinners, was raised from the dead to give them victory, ascends into glory, to give them glorification, and that is given freely to his people. And nothing else is added. Well, you see, this is kind of problematic for us, isn't it? (laughs) Because we live in a world today where that's kind of, um, how to say it, unpopular. Unpopular. Right? I mean, we have, we have whole denominations that have explicitly written into their doctrine that grace isn't enough. I mean, this is not. I mean, they, they said explicitly in their, the, the content of their faith. Well, you have to have whatever attached to it. You have to have the approval of the church. You have to have good works that accompany it. You have to have this thing. You have to have that thing. I've been in circles of the church. you had speaking in tongues. If you didn't have it, you couldn't be saved gospel plus anything is wrong. We saw this actually in kind of the history of this denomination way back actually when uh, liberalism was beginning to creep into the Presbyterian church and it was only kind of really the Presbyterian church at the time. We're beginning to wrestle through this conversation to say, well, what does conservative Christianity have in common with liberal Christianity? Right? What is conservative Christianity, Westminster Confession, what well, we hold? What, what does that have in common with liberal Christianity? It doesn't hold to inerrancy, doesn't believe in miracles, doesn't believe in the supernatural, doesn't believe in the resurrection. What, what, what do they have in common? And one of our founding fathers published a book that was, um, I would say, delicately, a shot across the bow. It was a bit groundbreaking, earth shattering would be a better way to say it, where he, he came and just flat out put them, wow, this big, with brilliant scholarship, clear as day to say, you know what they have in common? Nothing. Because they are different religions. It's not the same, Machin. Not the same. Totally different. He goes back to Paul. They're totally different. Okay, so that, that's kind of problematic in and of itself to look at. Are you, so there's, there's kind of an essence. There's one gospel and there's everything else that's wrong. Well, okay, that's kind of scary to think about in some sense. But all right, well, we'll be all right. though. So the church will be okay. Well, there's a problem here. Because he continues on, look at what the next point is. Not that there is another one, there's only one gospel. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Second principle. The church will always be confronted with those that intentionally teach the wrong thing. I have italics in my notes that intentionally word. The church will always be confronted with those that intentionally teach the wrong thing. You see, what's happening in the Galatian church is they've just had the Jerusalem Council and they're wrestling through what do Jews have to do as be part of Christianity? And what do Gentiles have to do? Right? We have these Jews that are attempting to keep all of the Old Testament law and then some. And then you have these Gentiles that are keeping none of it. Right? No bacon, lots of bacon. What do we do with that, right? How how do we sort out who's going to be what and how we're going to be? And, And what the Jerusalem Council ends up saying is, look, if you want to follow Old Testament law, follow Old Testament law. If you want to ignore the Old Testament ceremonial law, bacon, ignore it. That's fine. But you need to be pure in your doctrine, pure in your practice, and pure in your sexuality. And other than that, like, cut each other some slack. And what ends up happening is part of those Jewish folks then go out and say, "Well, you know what? It's still going to be grace plus part of Judaism." Right? You know, we'll say, "You know what? It'll be? Ah, we've got it. It'll be grace plus circumcision." That's what it'll be. Grace plus circumcision. That's fine. That, that totally makes sense. God commanded circumcision. It's a good idea. He said to do it. Makes sense. And the interesting thing is, is that they are, in doing so, intentionally distorting the gospel. Now, I, I would make a, a specific point here. Right? The truth of the matter is this is no different for the church today. There are those that creep into the church, Jude tells us, and intentionally distort the truth of God. And I would say for the vast majority of people who do this, their intentions are the best in the world. They're absolutely magnificent intentions, and they're absolutely wrong. My uh, advisor in seminary is a gentleman named uh, Harold O.J. Brown. Uh, Harold O.J. Brown had four degrees from Harvard. He's a wee bit smart. Uh, He also is the gentleman who started the Crisis Pregnancy Center movement. And by that I mean like he started it. He and one of his buddies are responsible for starting something like 3,500 crisis pregnancy centers. So the man is literally a hero and has saved thousands upon thousands of thousands of lives. He's in glory now. But he has the standard work on heresies. It's called Heresies, and it's about this big, and it, you would think it would be boring as I'll get out. And then you'd think that when you get in it, he would just be blasting people constantly. It's interesting. When you open up and begin to read, all it is is descriptions of men who tried to do God a favor. You know what? It surely, surely it can't be that Jesus, who is God, came down to earth and became man. That is shockingly offensive. Surely it can't be that we'll do God a favor and kind of minimize that humanity. Nope. Surely it can't. All of it's just wonderfully well intentioned evil. And brothers and sisters, I would give a kind of stern and scary warning in this regard. This has not changed today. Where we have men and women, I would say not just in the capital C church, but I would even say within our own, not this building, but within our own camp that are intentionally, but with the best of intentions, teaching the wrong thing. That'd be something worth thinking about, wouldn't it? To think about the consequences that that could have. Luther has a great great quote on this section. He's uh, considering what would happen in the Galatian church, and his comment is, some unlearned idiot can undo the work of a decade. I love that quote. Some classic Luther, bold as always, some unlearned idiot can undo the work of a decade. Here you see Paul has laid a foundation in Galatia for a righteous and believing church. And you have people coming in with the best of intentions, best of intentions, and leading people away from the truth of Christ. What do you do with that? I mean, what, do we, what, do we, what do we do with that, right? I mean, that, that's slightly terrifying to think about that there are people that are inside the church and our church is, not this one, thankfully, that are leading people away intentionally on purpose with the best of intentions. Well, most of us are going to say, well, you know what I'll do? I got it. I know what I'll do. I'll find somebody that I trust and I'll use their word as law. And so what we do in America is we find celebrities, and we take celebrity pastors or celebrity authors or celebrity theologians, and we elevate them to just spectacular uh, station. If you can figure out how to make yourself into one of those, you will make a fortune as a writer right now. Amazing. it's interesting, what, what is Paul's response? It's not to connect to a person. It's actually to recognize their proper authority. What does he say? But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we originally preached to you, let him be anathema, accursed. Let him be expelled, removed, condemned to hell. Let him be gone. You see, recognizing the principle here is he's saying that the true gospel comes from God alone and therefore man should be committed to God alone. You see, one of the things that we're doing in the American church today is, I would say, actually much of what the Galatian church and the Corinthian church will demonstrate, and that is, instead of using our own minds to think well, we connect to others and let them do our thinking for us. So I'm gently calling you out for trusting me too much. Don't just listen to what I say. I could have the best of intentions and be an idiot, as Luther has called. Don't trust me. Trust the one who is trustworthy. The one who has recorded perfectly all of that righteous truth, all of that truth that leads to life. Listen to him and to him always. One last kind of point here. It's important for us to recognize that those that cannot agree to this are not on the same team. I I, I put it bluntly. You You can't agree to this. You can't be on the same team. We really just can't. To say that well, I'm laboring for the gospel, as recorded to the scriptures, and I'm laboring for a gospel that's just slightly different. We can't be on the same team, according to Paul. According to Paul, in fact, actually, one very common illustration of this, and slightly polarizing, so I apologize in advance if I step on your toes if you know anything about this. But many years ago, uh, early, I guess I was in high school when it happened, somewhere around there, uh, there was a document drafted called Evangelicals and Catholics Together. And it, in essence, was a document to say, let's figure out how together we can figure out how to handle the politics of our nation. And a lot of it dealt with what we're talking about today in terms of Roe versus Wade and things like that. The problem was not, though, that they just said, hey, let's let's push for these political goals. The problem was at the beginning of the document, it said, since we worship the same God in the same truth, and I forget that it was but functionally with the same kind of gospel. And a lot of people unintentionally or not thoughtfully signed on to it, thinking, well, we're, we're on the same team, right? Catholics and evangelicals, we're on the same team. And then as people began to think about it a little bit more, they kind of had to realize, oh, no, this is a problem. Because the Catholic doctrine explicitly says, in order to be saved, you must have Grace plus something. My pastor, when I was in, I think high school, actually signed it and then had to have his name taken off of it afterwards as he thought about it more. Because people began to realize we're not, we're not the same team. Now the problem with this is that um, this is, in a world of tolerance, shockingly unpopular, isn't it? I mean, in, in America right now, we like to say we're on everybody's team, Right? I mean, you're on my team, I'm on your team. We're all on the same team. And now with political elections coming up, we see that really there's two teams and then some stragglers. But really, that's what we're talking about. And in watching in like the Republican debates and stuff happening, well, are there teams? But we want to go as big picture of team as we are, as we can be. We like to emphasize that unity, that all accepting tolerance. And when it comes to our theology, it really resonates with our soul to try to do that. And it's hard for us to be honest about this and to say realistically, if I'm going to be consistent with the scriptures and what I consistent, I know them to say, I have to be willing to draw boundary lines. And that will not make me popular. Because the sad reality is not everyone gets in. That makes my heart sad. Not everyone goes to glory. But if I can do my part to help people not get there and say, well, look at all the things I did in your name. I believed in your gospel. I went to your church. I read your Bible. But having believed the wrong thing disqualified themselves. Now notice this isn't talking about, well, are they, you know, Presbyterian or not? Do they have elders and deacons or not? they not talking about that. Right, we're not talking about the minutiae here. We're talking about the big picture. All right, so what do we do this? Well, just quickly, a couple of points of, of application. Uh, one is, uh, I think maybe this should add in our postmodern context a little bit of sobriety to our faith. I right, know the American culture right now likes to make Christianity something silly. Uh, and I think part of the reason why that is because things that are silly are not things that we can um, uh, be scared of or take seriously. And it might be appropriate for the Christian church today to begin to embrace a little bit of the sobriety of to think that this great nation of ours, which has 300 million plus people, which the overwhelming majority of them profess Christ. And of those people, the overwhelming majority of them think that the gospel of Jesus Christ means that Jesus died to make me physically rich. And do not believe the gospel of this. That should crush our souls a little bit of seriousness two is it should actually add a little bit of confidence when we do see that we're not going to be the most popular kid on the block and most of us never were some of you were i'm sure most of us never were but it shouldn't surprise us theologically or spiritually when that happens because the way is narrow not broad And two is it should give us just immeasurable love for Christ. That what is at stake is a free offer. I mean, literally, it's a free lunch. It literally is. There's no strings attached. That's what's at stake. And we as humans want to attach strings. We want to add something to it. We can't just simply receive what God has given. May it be true for us. That this is never written of us. That we never leave this gospel to find a different one. And that we labor faithfully to defend and proclaim the one we have received from Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your truth. Sermons like this are not easy to preach, to listen to. To engage or to think through. And they're not my favorite sermons. I don't like these. But your word is always true. And we are to be always learning and always faithful to the scriptures. And so we ask that not you would make us popular. We don't need that. We don't ask that you would make us more tolerant and accepting. We ask that you would make us picky about the things that you are picky about that you would give us proper balance and understanding and that you would keep us rooted in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.